friends, this podcast is supported by Viator. With over 300,000 plus experiences across 2,500 destinations in a variety of categories, ranging from walking tours and cooking classes to multi-day excursions and helicopter tours, follow my link in the descriptions to get the perks and the discounts. Also supported by Maud, a modern intimacy, modern sexual wellness company built on quality, simplicity, and inclusivity. They're on a mission to make intimacy better for all of us people. Use my unique promo code AliciaE10 and get 10% off your purchases at the checkout. Also, never run out of clothes to wear. Use the link in my description for a discount on your membership for Rent the Runway. Support me in building the personal libraries for young readers in Houston. My link in the description will help you and lead you to donate for our book drive. Don't hesitate. See you there. No, and I think what he's saying is it's not a good idea to leave generational wealth for the kids because typically what they do is they squander it. And so what he says is, you know, definitely be more philanthropic with it, but um, educate your kids about work ethic and like money and in, in, in where it comes from. But you're very right. You know, it's very pervasive in, in, in the white community for them, but they do teach their kids very early on how to invest and they do invest like they do yeah. open brokerage accounts for their kids. Like that's one thing my husband did for the two boys that we have. He immediately opened um, those yeah. uh, those uh, college accounts for them and he made sure that all of that was going on. Something I would have never even thought about if it, I just wasn't raised to think that way. You know, you yeah. talk about our parents and all that. But, you know, there's this there's this movement that you don't leave you don't leave wealth that you've accumulated over the years to your kids anymore because they're just going to squander it. But I I honestly kind of feel like you do. Our kids are different. I don't see this dialogue taking place amongst people of color. I hear this dialogue taking place almost always around white families. Yeah. And there's so much we need to understand in that they have been here for generations already. That in and, in and of itself is already generational wealth. It is the unspoken generational wealth of having the experience to navigate this country. That same experience does not apply to us, especially when we, when we, um, you know, we may get discriminated against because of the color of our skin and just the privileges that we know exist in this country that affect people of color. So I think it's very presumptuous and unfair for white people to say that, you know, we shouldn't pass on generational wealth to our children because they'll squander it or yeah. whatever the case may be. I also strongly disagree with someone outside of my household making decisions for my children. I will cut you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I, yes, mama, mama bear will come in and be like, this is, I have autonomy over my family and what I choose to do. And you're not going to bully me into whatever your thoughts and your experiences are. I think that, and I don't believe in, anyone else being bullied into that or being sold a perspective that someone feels should it should be a one size fits all especially when it's coming from someone that is extremely privileged in this country 
Yeah. And I think that's the conversation that I wanted to have with you, because to me, um, it's like I've, I've told my parents many times they they have like their little savings account in their bank and they're just worried about, you know, how we're going to do. And I'm like, it's your money. You can spend it however way you want. Go have your trips, go do whatever you need to do. Um, yeah. We're going to be OK. But I think in their mind, it's like they need to leave something behind. But I don't want her to. I'm like, no, that's for your health care. That's for you when you and dad don't have, you know, um, the money to 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 get a, a nurse. That's what that's going to be for. Like I go into that with them because they're they're the savers, right? They're the type of people that are saving, saving, saving all the time, and rarely do they give themselves a little treat. Sure, because and I think treat it's very... means you know it's a little greedy for them. Right, right. And I think it's very admirable that your parents are looking to leave you something. I think that's extremely admir admirable. My mom is the same way. She, uh, you know, she purchased her first house when she was in her late 20s as an immigrant in this country who just cleaned houses. Like that's what she did for a living. She was very, she's the original wealth warrior. She mm -hmm. was very, um, savvy when it came to real estate she understood that you buy when houses are down and you sell when they're high and while that might sound like a logical uh, a logical thought it's not that logical believe it or not because people get emotionally invested in the idea of having a home and it's the same exact way in the stock market and so I feel like I'm privileged in the sense where my mom thinks about wanting to leave something for me. But I also acknowledge that a lot of folks in our community that are our age are stressed because they're having to not only think about potentially paying for school for their children and hopefully being able to leave something for their children so that they're better off than they were when they first started, but also having to like take care of the generation before them, take care of their parents and how are they going to help their parents because their parents may not have a savings. They may not have anything right. to their name. And so I think it's like an interesting um, dynamic that we live in. And I tell my mom all the time, listen, if, if we can get, I was like, I don't want anything from you. If yeah. we can get through your life with you being fully taken care of and, you know, and not bare minimum taken care of, mm -hmm. like how you want to be taken mm -hmm. care of, mm -hmm. then that's all we can, that's all I can ask for, you know, <laughs> then you're, you're already giving me a big relief, you know, Absolutely. with that. So that's already to me, generational wealth is uh, as first, second gen, Amer you know, living in America, mom, my, my parents being first gen immigrants in America. So yeah, I mean, I think this is a really important conversation. And sometimes I think we rely on like what a white man is saying, because they have more experience. And sometimes we think like they must know better because they've been making these types of decisions for longer than we have. But I think we have to lean into the fact that we're not the same and we don't have the same experience. Yeah. And I think it goes back to something you also mentioned in your book, how social media has changed the access that we have to learning and to knowing about the different options that are out there for us. Um, this is why you guys have to read her book. It has such great um, resources in there. And one of the things that really captured my attention was that you mentioned 
um, that social media has sort of leveled the playing field in terms of like how we see investments and how we look at um, going into stock markets. Because now we can be, you know, savvy investors. We can look at trends. We can look at what's going on. We can read. We can research. Um, you mentioned something like before Bloomberg was probably only something that white older men um, read. Now it's accessible to anybody. I mean, anybody can access that, can access the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, those things that we always saw as like something that's like out there for them to kind of research and, and read. We have access to that now thanks to social media, thanks to Twitter, thanks to the internet, Google. Like there's so many ways that social media or just the internet or the information can be accessed by yeah. everyone. I've absolutely, absolutely, which is why it was so important for me to write the book, because I think there's something interesting in our culture in like, you know, when we're growing up and our parents are like, si no te invitan, no puedes ir. You know, yeah. if you're not invited, you can't go. You uh -huh. can't show up uninvited. You can't show up unannounced, right? That's the way we were raised. Where versus in American culture, it's very rooted and show up unapologetically. Yeah. And so I think we are still seeking some sort of permission or at least to see ourselves reflected in this space. So even though we have access to the information, we still don't know what to ask. Like, we don't know what to Google. We don't know what to search. We don't know where to start. And I think this is why I have like the book, writing the book was such an important mission because I really felt like it was a great resource to start and to, it has, you know, um, a glossary at, at the back of the book. And it's really just beginner friendly. And it can really drive you towards knowing what to Google, knowing what to research. It is your invitation to take up space in the stock market. Yeah. And so there really is no excuse for us to not be in it because really it the it is accessible. You talk about E-Trade, you talk about apps that we can just really literally download on our phone and just keep track of, the, of our stocks and how they're growing and how they're coming through for us. Um, so there really is no excuse for those of us to have a, some cash on the side that we can invest and that we can afford to lose too, right? I mean, sometimes you don't have money that you can um, risk yeah. And for that type of, I, I think, I think when, when you're in the position where you feel like I really don't have the budget to potentially do something like this, I would like to challenge, cause that's what I do is that you can't afford to at least invest in the information, what it's trying to teach you. And what I want to support and hold you with is that understanding money is going to give you the confidence to generate money in other ways. Yeah. All it does is open up your brain space to think of new ideas and how to actually create money. Money doesn't exist if you don't exist. It's not something that we necessarily get from the outside. And I think a lot of us are under the impression that we have to kind of like exchange our time for money. And that's not necessarily the case. There was someone that had an idea to create Netflix and that idea came from someone's thought. Like everything yeah. that surrounds you right now was a thought in someone's head. 
mm-hmm. everything. They just had the audacity to take up the space to produce the thought and turn it into an item and exchange that item for money. And that's not um, inaccessible for us. It is accessible for us. It's mm-hmm. just that we don't open our minds in that way. And the other thing I want to say to really hold and support someone that may be feeling like I can't, I could never invest in the stock market is that there are fractional shares, which means that you can buy a fraction of a share and you could literally start with investing $1 a month if you wanted or five or 20 or $100 a month, you don't necessarily need to invest a ton of money, which is yeah. our natural, our natural, natural assumption, because it hasn't been made accessible in this way. Um, you can invest very little and have a fraction of a share and that investment, whether it's $20 or $5 a month, really has the power to teach you about the stock market itself, you can start to look at that at that money and watch it grow. Just I was just on another podcast with this um, this woman that she discovered an account that she had that had $500 a long time ago, $500. Mm-hmm. And the she called the bank and she's like, you know, what do I do with this money? And the man's like, well, you can keep it in here for the interest that it has, or you can invest it and buy shares. She said she'd never bought shares in her life. She didn't know what to do. And she was like, I guess I'll buy Apple. She bought two shares of Apple. Those $500 turned into $15,000 right now. And all it was, was a phone call. Um, (laughs) You know, she invested the money, left it alone. Yeah. And so I think we don't understand what the stock market can do. We're not fully aware of how fast it can grow. Um, And so, yeah, I just want to make that knowledge accessible through the book. Yeah, and I think you do a really good job at explaining it for us in like the most um, basic way we can possibly learn it because um, I, I find that even when we are inside the investment world that we're always constantly learning, like we have to be constantly learning. We've been doing real estate investments for three years now, and we're honestly at, at at a point where we're like, gosh, every time we do another house, we're learning something new that we didn't know before, and it's three years in. So I think one thing that I want to just reiterate, it's like it's a learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to necessarily know what to do right from the beginning, even in in, in those in those um, situations where you maybe want to find a mentor or maybe somebody that can you can shadow in terms of that, but like really holding it out. Like I, you know, in my mind, I want to help more people like learn how to invest in real estate. I yeah. just wouldn't, I just in my head, it's like, but what am I going to teach them? Like, I'm going to teach them what, like how did, you know, like it, it just starts to go like crazy in my head, but I find that it's like the quickest and easiest way to make some really good quick cash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, with the book, it started off as a course. Um, but even before it starting off as a course, I really didn't think that I would make any money from creating the course. That was never the intention. It was genuinely to provide information to people that I felt needed it. And that's what I did. I just poured myself into developing this course that I th- I thought it was going to be a workshop. I thought it would be 
you know, maximum two hours. And as soon as I started to write it and make it just very simple and digestible, it turned into 10 hours worth of content. Wow. And then the, the course just started taking off on its own. Like, I remember waking up and making a ton of money and from the course and thinking, I think I have a business on my hands, Mm -hmm. but it was truly the heart and the soul and the intention of wanting to teach people a step-by-step process on how to get started. And eventually the course got to one of the biggest book agents in the country that represents um, the Latina community and a publisher and they came to my course and they were spying on me. They they joined my course twice. I thought they just wanted to learn about them. I'm not I'm not paying attention on who's yeah, taking yeah. the course. I'm mm-hmm. just you're teaching. like this student took my class twice. I wonder yeah. why. <laughs> yeah. And and that wasn't really uncommon. There were pe- there's people that have taken it four times. There's people that That's want so to continue cool. to take it and take it. And um yeah, and then they reached out and said, We think you have a book. Uh, so it wasn't even anything I was seeking, not the courses or the or the book. But what I was seeking was truly, truly, honestly, in my heart of hearts was to educate people on this system that we have not had access to. Because right. like I said earlier, even though the Internet is at our fingertips, sometimes we don't even know what to ask. And I, ha- I have so much compassion for someone that doesn't know what to ask because my entire life has been a series of, I don't know what to ask. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. I, I find that when I don't know what to ask, I'll try to find somebody who's doing what I want to do. And I'll just go straight up and ask them, like, how do you do what you're doing? And some people are really good about saying, oh, well, this is how I did it. And other people are like, um, you can set up like a meeting with me or maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, I'll just move on to the next person. Somebody's going to tell me, you know, something, and then I'll just research and look it up and and learn that way. You mentioned something to um, to another podcaster a few years ago, Vita, 2021, you were on a podcast with her, and you said that you saw crypto as the future of currency. Now, mm-hmm. crypto is trending a lot right now because there's been a lot of, um, a lot of uh, scandal behind it, uh, yeah. most recently with the, um, with the Sam guy. I can't remember the name of the of the company he Brickman I believe FTC yes and so he had that house out in Jamaica and his parents were living in it anyway so everybody's like into like looking at that do you still feel the same about it as you did back in 2021 we're in 2023 now um and you mentioned how you still see it as the future of currency yes I, that tell has me, not changed. Tell me why. That has not changed. I'm, I'm like the opposite. I'm like, yeah, and there's no way I'm going into crypto. But I want well, you to tell me that I should. Well, I can't tell you that you should, but here's what I <laughs> yeah, can. You just say that in your book. Like, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you this. <laughs> yeah, but here's what I will tell you. Crypto was a program, was it's it's a blockchain, it's a system that was written out in the 2008 financial crisis. So every time there is a crisis, an economic crisis, a global crisis, what happens is we enter into crisis mode, like things begin to break down, especially the things that are not working any longer. Mm -hmm. We started to see major problems with our banking system. When people are afraid to invest, 
I think you should be more afraid of your bank than you should be of investing because you are literally putting your money into the bank in order for it to depreciate. It will not be worth what it was worth when you put it in there. Mm -hmm. But we don't understand that. Um, And so that there was a group of people that understood that our banking system was broken. And so they created blockchain technology. And from that creation came Bitcoin. And then later came Ethereum. The issue with crypto right now is not the root of crypto, which is Bitcoin. Okay. Or Ethereum, which is the second coin that came after Bitcoin. The Mm -hmm. issue with Bitcoin is the fake coins that were on the market that were fake because that uh, sector is not regulated. There is no regulation around the sector and there's no regulation initially by design because there were people with integrity that are creating Bitcoin, that there's a block ledger, a public ledger where no one can secretly move money it's all in code every single transaction that you the way you move that money right um but you have people that are scammers and came behind these people and started to take advantage of the system so doesn't that make it belinda doesn't that make it a risk for those of us that do want to invest in it because there's no regulation because there's no true backing behind it wouldn't that make us more skeptical and more, um, I guess, reluctant to try to put our money in Bitcoin? It, it should make you reluctant of the other coins. So Bitcoin is the name of a coin. Ethereum is the okay. name of a coin. And then there's all these other coins. But it shouldn't make you uh, reluctant of blockchain technology. And here's where it requires education and understanding blockchain technology and how it works. Mm -hmm. So it's never a space that you should jump into without understanding. And I'm very, I stand behind that, whether it's investing in whatever. Um, So this is no different. I think that you, you have, we have to educate ourselves in understanding that and understanding how Bitcoin works. You also can't invest into Bitcoin anywhere because you may not, even though you are invested into Bitcoin, you may not own the coins for yourself because you don't have a wallet. So like if you invest to it via PayPal, you don't have a wallet. So it's truly not yours. So you also have to pay attention on where you are investing in it. But I still believe that blockchain technology is the future. Um, It's in its infancy. It was just, it just started in 2008. I cannot speak for any of the other coins that are on the market that are just crazy. Right. Um, But I'm talking about Bitcoin specifically that is uh, using blockchain technology. And so I think it's in its infancy. I do have exposure to Bitcoin, so I should state that. Um, Not a lot of exposure, very minimal exposure, actually, because I am a student of that system and I'm trying to understand it, but it truly doesn't change my belief in that it is the future in terms of a, of an asset class and a currency. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, It is something that's very pervasive right now in the news and the way that um, people are conducting themselves and, you know, saying, and, and one person can influence so many, like, you know, 
Elon can just go on Twitter and and write a tweet and it'll influence a whole generation of people. Mark Cuban can write one tweet and it'll influence everybody in like in terms of where they invest and that kind of thing. Um, I think one of the takeaways from the book is like really, really hone in on your own education mm-hmm. and uh, really learn things through a little bit more and really take on that role of the of the of the smart investor you know like I think that's something that is very clear in your book that you do say you you have to take it upon yourself to learn about the companies you invest in uh to 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 see where it's going where it's heading and um also like to hold it you know to remember that it's a hold and maybe it's going to take a while and then the other thing that I remember most from your book is like look at a crisis as an opportunity Yes, absolutely. And we are in one right now. And so we only get these opportunities a few times in our adult years where we're actually in a space to take advantage of them. Um, And so for me, I was not mentally in a space in 2008 to take advantage of that crisis. But you better believe that I was ready and waiting for the next crisis. And that's why the moment I heard about COVID and I saw it hit Italy in late January, I was already making phone calls to my closest family members to open a brokerage account because the stock market was going to come down and we were going to have a big opportunity. Like I was already thinking that way because of all the years that I had been studying crises and how people became rich, and it's how they became wealthy. And it historically, it's always during a crisis. Such good info, such important um, resources that you have in your book. And I appreciate you writing it, because I think it's something that we definitely need to talk more about, and, and talk about it without the shame that it brings, without the history that it brings, and really learning how to break those those mindsets, um, especially that fear in, in, um, in money and and, and yes. feeling it because I think one thing that happens so much in our community is that money brings problems or brings jealousy, brings greediness from others. Um, one sibling has more money than the other. One sibling married into you know wealthier family, more middle class, while the other kids are still kind of you know. There's just so many dynamics that are going on, but I think in terms of like us taking control of how we feel about the money, I think that's where you really hone in with this book it's like really it is about you and how you feel about it and how you pursue everything you do based on those you know recordings you have in your head yeah absolutely so where can we find you I mean besides I know on audible you guys have to listen to her book on audible it is so it's it's really a joy because you Mm -hmm. have the most soothing beautiful voice and honestly I felt like I just was like in a spa while I was like listening to you because you're just so soothing and so sweet um but such good info guys and really find that well where can we find you where can we go and support you absolutely so I am on Instagram at Luz Warrior uh, L-U-Z Luz in Spanish and then um our community is at in Luz we trust and then we're on TikTok as well at In Loose We Trust. And then I also have a Patreon community with um, over 400 mostly Latinas that are part of Patreon. And we discuss investments. We discuss the stock market. We have guests um, that 
teach us their expertise in there as well. So yeah, that you can find our website at um, inlosewetrust.com. Awesome, beautiful. Thank you so much for being with me today. Mm -hmm. I think um, if anything, people are going to be opened a little bit more. And, and, And my community and the Latinas that I talk to, or the women that I talk to most of the time, they're so interested in just growing their wealth and learning how they can grow their wealth, what they can do to invest in themselves, into their businesses, reinvesting in their businesses, um, finding the courses. You know, you mentioned investments and entrepreneurship is the number one thing. And I think that's one thing we we, we hesitate on, like investing in our own. Like we always think about others, but if we don't invest on our own self, then who is supposed to create the growth if it's not us, right? Absolutely. And we already have so many resources in our back, our backstories, our background, the resourcefulness that we come with, the mentality, the savings mentality, the the way that we live below our means. And, you know, that was one way that we grew. We grew our money is we live below our means for very long. We still do. I think that's one of the the key factors for how uh, my husband and I were able to grow um, our businesses and everything that we do and, and we're able to invest in buildings now or shopping centers is because we really were people that live below our means. You know, we put that yeah. money aside, that money away, and we were very resourceful. But that doesn't mean we don't live a bougie lifestyle. <laughs> we do. Amen. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. No. So, <laughs> um, but thank you so much for making the time for my for my audience, ladies, everyone out there, men. There's a lot of guys that listen to. Please go get her book. It is such a good, good book. Such a wealth of knowledge pun intended. And, um, you know, I want to hear from everybody. What do you think about this? And then reach out to you and see if we, I would love to do a book party for you in Houston, by the way. So if you're, Oh my gosh, thank you. Yeah. I'd love to host a book party. I've already told Carolina, I said, let's get, let's get her out here in Houston and let's get her book sold to all the people that need to hear it. I would love that. Let's do it. I'm down. Awesome. Thank you so much, Linda. I appreciate you so much. And it's been an amazing conversation to have. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Thank you. See you soon. Sounds good. Bye.